If you would turn to the first of Matthew, as they used to say, the first chapter of Matthew, the first chapter of Matthew, and you know, there are, uh, there are a lot of, um, well, there's several uh, different viewpoints on how significant uh, this holiday, Christmas as we call it, should be. Uh, some people uh, believe every part of it's hook, line, and sinker. It's biblical. I've met people like that. And I'm talking about people that, that believe sound. They're sound people. And they believe every part from the day that Jesus was born, December 25th, is, although it's not in the Bible, it's, it's almost in the Bible. <laughs> um, and then there are others who believe every part of Christmas should be utterly and totally rejected. Of course, I'm, I'm neither one of those. Um, but... What is, one point I want to make as we look at this, is what is undeniable is that the events surrounding the birth of Christ are an important part of the Bible. I mean, you think about the first three chapters of Matthew, uh, the first three chapters of Luke, first, actually the first two chapters of Matthew, first three chapters of Luke, are dedicated to those events. And part of that, I believe, in fact, I know because Luke says it, that one of, the, one of his purposes in writing all of those things was to, was to give all of the surrounding circumstances and details about the nativity, the birth of Christ, in clear detail so that the reality and the, the, uh, the, the, the historical nature of those things is established. Jesus was born. You know, he was born in a point in history. He came into the world. God was manifest in the flesh. Christianity is, is grounded in history, right? The Old Testament, the New Testament is grounded in historical facts. This is not things passed down, traditions and fairy tales, that fables that we've come to believe. And so the fact of Jesus' birth is a part of the book of, books of Matthew and uh, Luke and it's a significant part. It's not a small part. And for that reason, I think we should give it attention, right? We should give it attention. Uh, all the holiday stuff and whether you like Rudolph is up to you. It's up to you. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to start in verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Let's pray together and then we'll read verses 18 through verses 20, verse 25, which is the end of the chapter. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, thank you so much for for coming into the world and for the reason, Lord, we know that you came into the world to save us. Even your very name uh, reveals the fact that you had a mission to save us. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. I pray, Lord, as we give attention, as we study uh, these events surrounding your incarnation, that you would help us to understand, Lord, give each one of your people here this, this evening, uh, just an open heart and open ears and a, and a heart of understanding and help me to say the things I pray that you would say to them through me, the things that you want us all to know and learn and to uh, equip us and strengthen us, Lord. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 8. Uh, chapter 1, verse 18, says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while she thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, if you read the book of Matthew, the nativity, uh, the nativity account in Matthew, and you compare it to the account in Luke, here's what you will find. Matthew, in Matthew, Joseph is the central character which is an interesting fact. Mary is not the central character. Mary's appearance in Matthew is just incidental to, of course, being the mother. You know, she's kind of got to be there if Jesus is going to be born. So, but she's incidental to that, to that story. Her, what she does and what she thinks and, and those kinds of things, that's, those things are not really covered in Matthew. Those are covered in Luke. And what's interesting about Luke is in Luke, Mary, not Joseph, is the central figure, and Joseph's appearance, uh, Joseph's appearances in Luke are incidental. Uh, and for, for instance, in Luke is where you have the account of Gabriel coming and giving the announcement of the of the uh, the conception of Christ to Mary. You don't see that in Matthew, and I think there's a good reason for this. There's a good reason for this. Look, if you would, at. Uh, down at Matthew chapter 1 at the genealogy. If you look at verse 1, it says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. All the way down to, uh, skip down to, let's look at verse number 6. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abiah, Abiah begat Asa, etc. All the way down to, you see verse 13, Zerubbabel, which is, we, in the Old Testament, Zerubbabel, if that's how you say it. And then that goes all the way down to verse number 16. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now flip over to Luke, if you would, the third chapter of Luke where the genealogy in Luke is found, we're actually reading the genealogy. Doesn't that make you feel like you're finally getting to the genealogy? <laughs> it's there for a reason, right? Luke 3, look at verse number 23. Now the, the genealogy in Luke, uh, rather in Matthew, begins at Abraham, who is the father of the, the Hebrews, the Jews, and it ends up at Jesus. It actually ends up, yeah, it does end up at Jesus, but primarily at Joseph, right? 
The one in Luke begins with Jesus and ends not with Abraham, but with Adam. So it goes backward compared to Matthew. And Jesus, verse 23 of Luke 3, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli, which was the son of that word, Matt, Matat, Matat, which was the son of, etc., all the way down to verse number 38, which says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. Right? So this genealogy covers all the way from Jesus to, to, uh, to, to Adam. Okay, there's a, an important reason for that. But look at, look at verse number 23 again. It says, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. Mary is not in either one of them. As far as the gene- she's mentioned in Matthew, but she, her genealogy is not mentioned. Both of these genealogies pass through Joseph to Jesus. What's interesting, though, is the genealogy in Luke goes all the way back to Adam because Luke presents Jesus primarily in his humanity, right? Whereas Matthew goes back to Abraham because Matthew presents Jesus as primarily the king of the Jews. So the previous Abraham is not what's primarily important to Matthew. And that lines right up with the point I was making about Mary and Joseph how that Matthew uh, spends time talking about Mary, and Mary is a central figure in the birth of Christ. But, I'm sorry, Luke, Luke spent, I'm getting this, these names are like, all these names here, you read all these names? Luke spends time uh, uh, concentrating on Mary, whereas Matthew spends most of his time concentrating on Joseph. Why? Well, because Mary, Mary was the means by which Jesus received his humanity, right? Mary was his mother. He, Mary was the mother of the body, if you, if you want to say it like that, of Jesus. Whereas in Matthew, what is most important? When you talk about, you know, you think about the, the Queen Elizabeth II. She died, you know, a few months ago. Queen what is most important about when, when that happens? The only, thing, the only thing that matters after that is the lineage, who is in line? All right, now look at Matthew again. It says in verse number 16, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called Christ. In every other case in Matthew, it was the son of the son of the begat, 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 begat. You know, all the I was about to speak Khmer for some reason. It, Cambodian started flying out of my mouth and I had to catch it. <laughs> But you have this begat, begat, begat until you get to Joseph. But Joseph did not beget Jesus. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. So it's, it, it obviously goes to pains to describe this relationship Joseph had with Jesus. Now, when you look at the genealogy, what you see is that Joseph was of the tribe of Judah And his lineage passed straight through David and Solomon and Solomon's sons all the way down to his father Jacob. All right? Why is that important? That means that because of David, now remember the promise that God gave to David. God gave a promise to David that his throne, his sons in what we call the Davidic covenant, there would be a son of David. An ans- a, a descendant of David, 
to sit on the throne of David forever. That was the promise that God gave to David. Fantastic promise. Joseph is in that line. He is a rightful, legal heir to the throne of David. Now, why is that important? When you look at Matthew, what is important to Matthew is that Jesus is, he is presented as the king of Israel. So, what you have here is you have Joseph espoused to Mary. Verse number 18. Look at what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child with the Holy Ghost. Now what does it mean to be espoused? I mentioned this last, I believe it was last Wednesday when we talked about the virgin birth. But what is spousal, or in the Bible it's espousal or betrothal, this is not something that we do. We have engagement, and we have, in our culture, we have engagement, and we have marriage. But it's understood that, that the engagement is not obligatory. Now, it was a very disappointing thing when somebody breaks off an engagement, but it's not obligatory. It's no, there's no legal status to it. But in, in the Scripture, in, this, in, in the culture of... Uh, Actually, this was really established in the Old Testament. When a person was espoused, they were legally married. At the once those those uh, that contract was was established and that that uh, that that gift was traded, that man became that woman's husband, and that woman became that man's wife. Legally. But they did not live together and they did, not, they did not consummate that relationship for some time after that, some say a year. But in every other way, they were called husband and wife. And this, this might sound unusual to us, but it is, it is obvious in the scripture that this is what is happening. So Mary and Joseph had known each other. I guess they like each other, maybe. Maybe their parents put them together. I have no idea. But Obviously, I think Joseph has affection for Mary. I think that's, that's evident in this passage. So they have, they have made this agreement. They, they have become betrothed. So they are going to be married. And in fact, look at verse number 18. Look what uh, verse number 19, I'm sorry. What does verse number 19 say? say? Now in verse 18, it says, she was a spouse to Joseph. Verse 19 says, then Joseph, her what? Husband, not fiancé. You know, they didn't have French words back then. Her husband. And then if you read the next, uh, the next verse, the angel speaks to, uh, the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph. He says, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. You see that? You can see it in the terminology. They're already using the words that are associated with what we would call full marriage. Full marriage. Furthermore, whenever someone was betrothed or espoused, a divorce was required to, to dissolve that bond. You can't just break it off. A formal divorce was required. A formal divorce. Furthermore, if one of the two in that relationship had a, a, a relationship with another person, a, a, a sexual relationship with another person, that was considered adultery. That was considered full adultery. Now, 
Think about what's happening here. And now I want to go to 2 Corinthians real quick. Think about what's happening here. At this moment in time, Joseph and Mary have been, have, have been now been betrothed. So they're in a relationship where they are legally married. But they're also in a relationship where they haven't yet had a physical relationship. This is the only way this could happen. Because they, are, they have not had a physical relationship, when Mary becomes uh, pregnant, it is evident that she was, that the child in her womb was of the Holy Ghost because they have not had a physical relationship. But on the other hand, they have a legal marriage. Okay? And that means that the baby is legally the heir to the throne of David. Now, in any other case, if Mary and Joseph had been married, had been betrothed, and then married, uh, and then fully married and had that relationship, Jesus could not have been a virgin, which is the prophecy. Although he would have been in the line of David to be the king. If, on the other hand, it happened beforehand, before they were betrothed, he would, Jesus could not have been the legal heir to the throne of David, though he would have been virgin born. You see, the Lord picked this moment in this span of time, perhaps a year, for Jesus to be conceived at that point. So he is both the legal heir to the throne because he is the legal son of David. They're married, the son of Joseph, rather. They're married legally, but yet they have not had that physical relationship, so Jesus is still a virgin. Now, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 really quick. Second Corinthians, just hold your place in Matthew. We'll come back to that in a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Just as a side note. Verse number, verse one says, Would to God that ye could bear with, could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For Paul, now Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, all right? For I am jealous over you, the church, with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now, based upon what we've learned about espousal and betrothal, what does this indicate? In the relationship of the church, that's us, to Christ. What it indicates is, Legally, we are His. And that bond cannot be dissolved. Right? You think, well, you got a divorce, but the Lord doesn't do that. He hates divorce. That's what, that's what He says. So for our purposes, we, there's a legal, a legal bond here. You're espoused with Christ. That means the, the church and Christ, that relationship will never be dissolved. Right? It's permanent. But there hasn't been a full consummation of that relationship yet. That's why it mentions that the church is a chaste virgin, just like Mary was when she conceived Jesus, right? But you know what? One day, Jesus is going to come. One day, He's going to come, and there's going to be a supper after He comes. And you know who's going to be there? You're going to be there, 
and I'm going to be there. The church of God is going to be there. And we are going to be the bride at this marriage supper, just like they did in, the, in biblical times. This was the supper of the marriage. And after, that, after those festivities is when the husband and the wife would begin that to live with one another in that physical relationship. And they would be husband and wife like we think of husband and wife. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So this, the betrothal, is not just a, a feature of the culture in first century Judea. No, it is also a picture of the relationship we have with the Lord. Now, we know we're going to be with the Lord, but you know what? Right now, we have a relationship with Christ that's not ever going to be dissolved. Think about that. It's, we're legally His. It's as good as done. We're just in this waiting time, you know, waiting on him to come. Just like, you know, two people that are engaged in our time, you know, they're engaged. They say, oh, I can't wait to get married, can't wait to get married, can't wait to get married. And they wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and it takes so long. Well, that's what we're doing, waiting on the Lord to come back. Amen. That's, a, that's an interesting, interesting uh, fact, an interesting comparison. The timing for this announcement and the conception of Christ was perfect, and it was only possible if you had this kind of cultural setup. All right, now look down at back at Matthew chapter one, verse number eight, uh, verse number nineteen. Verse number nineteen, of course, says, "Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, being a just man." Now, so we we use the word just, and we think of we think of like a court, right? We think of the law being applied, things like that. But in the Bible, when the Bible uses the term just, it's often used, used it synonymously with the word righteous. Let me give an example. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, we're all familiar with that verse, so we have a, a good grasp of what that verse is talking about. But the word righteous and the word just, they come from the same word. It's the same word. So what this verse is saying about Joseph was not that he believed in the law or something like that. He believed a robber ought to go to jail. No, no, no. It's saying that Joseph, now I want to make sure I say this right. Joseph was a, was a man of faith. And I don't mean he just generally had faith. I mean, in the society of Israel, you had many, many, Israel this time was very religious, very religious society. In fact, I referenced a book I've been reading called Sketches of Jewish Social Life by Edersheim. And that book describes how religious this society was. Their religion was woven throughout their society, not like our society. So everybody was religious in Judea, okay? Everybody was religious. But this, this term, Joseph was a just man, sets him apart from everyone else. The scribes and Pharisees were religious, but they weren't just. In other words, they weren't right with God. They had not exercised true faith in God. They were still trusting in their own good works and their religion, all those things, and they had not exercised faith in God that made them right with God. They were not just. Now look at a couple other people, uh, if you will. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse number 6. About 
uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Verse 6 says this, Luke 1, 6, And they were both righteous, same word, before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of of the Lord blameless. You see this? This is a description of a people that are different than everybody else in society. They believe in the Lord. They have, they have what we call saving or justifying faith, like Abraham had. Not everybody in Israel had that. In fact, few did, <laughs> I would venture to say. Look at Mark chapter number, I'm sorry, look at Luke chapter 2 since we're here. Verse number 25. Luke two twenty-five. Speaking of Simeon. Verse 25 says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was, what? Just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. So what you see, when I read this verse, what I'm saying, what I ask myself is, why is the Lord mentioning this man? Why is this notable? It's because not everybody was like this. Simeon, Zacharias, Elizabeth, and then Uh, And then I'll just mention these for for time's sake. Also in Mark 6.20, you have John the Baptist is referred to as a just man. And you know John the Baptist was not just a run-of-the-mill church member. No, he was a man who believed in the Lord. We would say in our our vernacular, we would say he was saved. Well, that's, that's basically what this is saying. And then also Joseph of Arimathea, who begged the body of Jesus, was also a just man in the scripture. Here's the point. Joseph and Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth and all pretty much all the characters, the major figures in, about the, uh, the, the nativity of Christ were all people who exercised faith in, who were true believers in the Lord. They weren't just fakes. They didn't just members of the synagogue Part of that said, no, 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 no. They were true believers in the Lord. And you know what? That's who, that's who the Lord is using. He's not using this, the, the religious formalities and the, the form of religion that's on every corner in Greenville, South Carolina. No, He's using His people among them, right? His people. I want to tell you something. There's a lot of, as I said, there's a lot of churches in Greenville. There's a lot of churches in the United States. But relatively speaking, the number of just people that are right with God, and I don't mean they live right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they have believed in Christ and they are born-again Christians is actually very few. It's you that have a testimony that you have put your faith in Christ and you have been born again. That is uncommon. If you look at the numbers of it, That's uncommon. I know everybody in the world is saved. I know that. (laughs) If you ask them, if you don't believe them, just ask them. Everybody in the world is saved. But these people stood out. Joseph stood out as a man who was, he, he truly believed in the Lord. All right. So this is the kind of man that Joseph was. And it says in verse 19, he was not willing to make her a public example. Now hold your place here. I know we're flipping around a lot, but hey, that's what we do at church, right? Deuteronomy 22, verse 13. I'm not going to read all of this because some of this is a little, um, 
I just want to be a little bit discreet in a mixed congregation. Deuteronomy 22. What does it mean if Joseph made her a public example? All right? Joseph is a, is a just man. He's a, he's a man who knows God. He loves God. He has a heart for God, apparently. God has entrusted Joseph by sending this angel. God has entrusted Joseph with some serious matters. Joseph's obedience is important. But now his wife, in the betrothal sense, his wife has apparently has apparently been unfaithful. Now, I'm sure, because the, annou- the announcement to Mary came earlier. So I'm sure Mary has come to Joseph already and has told him, an angel came to me and said, I'm going to have a baby. All right? I'm sure that's happened by this point. But that's just utterly unbelievable. I'm just, just being honest with you. you know, Joseph probably did not believe Mary. And prob- that makes a lot of sense. Why would you? <laughs> But he probably knew of Mary's, Mary's character. So there's probably this kind of turmoil going on in his heart about this matter. And I think those are all reasonable things that you kind of read between the lines. But as it appears, Mary has committed adultery, right? It's a serious matter. In chapter 22 of Deuteronomy, verse 13 says this, If any man take a wife and go in unto her, that's referring to the the consummation of the marriage, and hate her, that is, they they go to have that that relationship, and then afterward, he says, no, I don't want that. He rejects her. After they're married now. And give occasions of speech against her, and bring up an evil name upon her, and say... I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found her not a maid. It's interesting they use the term maid because that's actually referring to her purity, right? But the term maid is used. That just a reference back to our uh, last Wednesday night. And I'll skip down to verse number, uh, skip 15 and on down there just for discretion's sake. And then it says in verse 20, it says, But if this thing be true, that is, the woman had committed adultery and had been unfaithful, uh, and the tokens of her virginity be not found for the damsel, then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shalt thou put evil away from among you. This is the example, right? This is it. Now, one thing was required, though, to set this that we just read in Deuteronomy in motion. What is that thing? Anybody want to guess? What is required to set this in motion? I hear whispers. It's what's in verse number 14. In verse 14, it says that the husband has to speak up against her. Bring charges, in essence. Without that, nothing happens. So that's the first step. Listen, that is what Joseph was unwilling to do. Joseph, believing that Mary had sinned against him, was unwilling to bring those charges because he wanted 
He, now again, he wanted to divorce her. He wanted to. Because it apparently she had been unfaithful. And I'm sure it, it, it shocked him. He wanted to divorce her. Because it says he thought on those things. But he was unwilling, listen now, he was unwilling to expose it to everyone. You see, even though he had been hurt by her, apparently, because he was a just man who knew God, that's what the verse says, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example. So the fact that he was a man who believed, truly believed in the Lord, he was a believer, that affected the way he reacted to this, to what Mary had apparently done. And just like in Proverbs, the Proverbs chapter 17 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Whoso covereth a transgression seeketh love. And again, I I need to make uh, just a little point here. When you talk about covering transgressions, it's one thing when you cover your own transgression and you try to hide what we try to hide what we've done so other people won't find out. We try to, so that we can perpetuate it. We can continue to do it, so we hide it. And then there's an idea, then there's the, the idea of another person covering one's transgression for love's sake. That is, because you love that person, Joseph loved Mary, apparently, he did not want her name and reputation to be destroyed publicly, even though he was still going to divorce her. So even even though he had been hurt, he had no desire to expose her sin. He wanted to protect her reputation. This shows the kind of character that Joseph had. Not only is it a good example to us, how often, and this happened happened on Sunday while we were at church, uh, Brother Burgess, uh, he was not, this is not against Brother Burgess at all. Brother Burgess was telling me what someone else had said about someone I respect. And I knew for a fact the information that this other man had said was false. I knew it. But it was just that juicy gossip, right? That juicy gossip, you got to repeat it. You know, some, some sin or some failure somebody, that, that somebody has in their life or some fault or whatever. And, and we hear about it and we have a tendency, we have this, this tendency to want to pass that along and share it instead of covering it, hiding it. That's, you see, that's what Joseph was doing. He was hiding it. Listen, every juicy bad thing that someone does, we don't have to tell about it, right? We don't, we don't have to talk about it. We can just, just keep moving. We don't, have to, we don't have to bring it up, talk about it. And, it, and the thing is, we always frame it as, you know, as we're trying to be like a news anchor or something, trying to inform, you know. That's what, that's what we do, right? We, we say things like, oh, did you hear, you know, and, and we make it sound like we're so empathetic, you know. Did you hear about, oh, I just feel so bad, you know, what he did. And, no, 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 no. The empathetic thing is to not talk about it. Amen. And again, we're not talking about, covering, helping someone cover their own sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who has publicly, something has happened and we know something and there's, there's, there's no purpose or use in us exposing it except to just malign their name. That's not something we should do as just people, right? Like Joseph, because that's what you are, right? 
But then you look at verse number 20, it says this. So Joseph wanted to divorce her. He, he was wanted to, he had, he had a good, as they, say in, as they say in the South, he had a good mind to put her away. Right? <laughs> he wanted to do it secretly. Something like that is not secret because you had to have witnesses to do it. But he didn't want to expose it all. Verse 20. But while he thought on these things, pause there. Joseph did not make a rash decision. You know why? Because his character as a believer in God caused him to stop. Why is Joseph kind of at a, at a, at a decision, at a, at a crossroads, a decision? You know why? Because he has two things in tension and he doesn't know what to do. And one thing is he has his character. He has a, he has a wife who's apparently been unfaithful and, and, and there's a certain prescription for what should happen to her. But then you have his character and his love for her. And as a believer, he doesn't want to just expose her. And, and so he doesn't know what to do. And sometimes the Lord puts us in situations where our character, listen now, our faith and our character put us in a place where we're kind of stuck. We, we don't want to, we, we, can't, we can't do this because of our, our faith and our character and God's word, but we also don't want to do this. So we're stuck. Joseph is suspended between these, these decisions. You know what he does? He stops. You know, that's the best thing you can do when you don't know what to do. When you have a hard decision, or when someone does something to hurt you or make you angry. Like no doubt this hurt Joseph, what apparently had happened with Mary. He didn't make a rash decision. He didn't just fly off the handle. The Bible says that he's hasty in his spirit, right? Is, is, is going to be a foolish man, a man with folly. He didn't just fly off and decide what he was going to do. No, he stopped. And in verse number 19, it says he, he was minded. And in verse 20, he said he thought on these things. He stopped. Listen now, that is the best thing that we can do. Just, just stop. It doesn't say it here, but I think we can safely insert. Stop and pray about the matter. Don't react immediately. Pastor Stewart talks about that a lot, doesn't he? Not reacting one of the best ways we can control our reactions when someone makes us angry or, or we're in a, a difficult place or we don't know the decision to make is to stop and don't do anything. Because you know what happened here? Because Joseph stopped. Remember, why did he stop? Because his, his faith and his character, his love for Mary, his desire to protect her, and the reality of what apparently had happened were intention. So it put him in a place where he couldn't decide. So God put him in a place where he didn't know the right decision to make. And at that moment is when the angel came. Now, why is that important? Because it is often in that lull of time when we have not been hasty that the Lord will give us direction. Think about the decisions with, with, with David. David mentions praying for the decisions that his family has. You wait on 
You get in this place where you don't know what to do or someone hurts you. Don't just fly off. Don't just fly off. Look at John 8. We're almost finished. John chapter 8, verse number 3, if you would. I want to show you a contrasting example of this. Now, Joseph is a just man. Joseph is a just man. The people we're going to read about here are not that. They're religious, but they're not just. John 8, verse number 3. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him, Jesus, a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto her, unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? See that? Here's what basically happened. Filling in some of the lines here. They found this woman committing this sin. They snatched her up and in a whirlwind brought her to Jesus and threw her down on the ground and said, See, she needs to be stoned. See that haste? Now she might, she might be guilty of that. But they hastily did it. And it's what's, what, what I'm trying to get at here is often when, when, when there's haste involved in that flash of anger, we often err on the side of judgment and harshness rather than in, on the side of mercy. Because we do, it in a, we do it in an emotion, in an emotional response. Joseph didn't do that. But these people who are not just but religious, in that flame of anger or, or zeal, misplaced zeal, they snatched that woman up and were, if Jesus had stoned her, they probably would have stoned her. They were, they were, they were, uh, they were judgmental. And, and there are times to judge, of course. But... And this woman had done wrong, apparently. Now go back to Matthew to finish up here. Chapter 1. He says, verse 20, But while, they taught, while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David. Notice that. What's the son of David? What is that a reference to? The lineage, right? Jesus would be called the son of David. For this is part of the reason here. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Verse number 20, um, 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Notice, he called his name Jesus. Joseph, right? What an act of faith. You know, Joseph is a just man. He's a man who is sensitive to God's leadership and he exercises some serious faith here. But his faith would cost him. Think about it. Now the Bible doesn't cover it. Now when you get into Jesus' life later, there are some indications that people had some negative things to say about Jesus. But it isn't isn't hard to imagine. I mean, all you got to do is count the number of months and you can can come to the conclusion that Mary and Joseph were not married, right? By the time Jesus was born. 
the reproach that would come, he made that decision to act in faith knowing that reproach. And sometimes that's what's required of our faith. You know that? When we act on our faith, act on God's Word, sometimes that comes with reproach, even though we're 100% in God's will. And so I think this is a fantastic demonstration of Joseph's faith. There would be at least two more times that the Lord would appear to Joseph and give him direction. When they left for Egypt, and when they came back to Egypt, and then when they finally settled in Nazareth. And all of those things were important in the prophetic history and in the practical history because Jesus had to be born, had to, had to come out of Nazareth because Nazareth was in Galilee. And that was all from Joseph's decision from the Lord directing him. This is why Joseph is a central figure in Luke chapter number, in the nativity in Luke. Let's pray together.